Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another in the can series of episodes, and I'm joined once again by the lovely and talented Eric Hines. Hello, Eric. Hey, man. <laughs> Feeling less lovely, less talented with each day of the festival. Every day goes by. We're, we're a little punchy, I think, from a combination of consecutive films and meager eating habits. <laughs> um, we are underfed. When it comes to calories, but quite fed when it comes to cinema. Underfed and overstimulated. Overstimulated, yeah. I thought to start off this episode, we might talk a bit about some quote-unquote smaller or non-competition movies for a start. Sure. And one of those, for example, is uh, Rodeo, a uh, French film. I think a debut feature. Debut feature, yeah, indeed. Yeah, and and in a certain regard. In a certain regard. The director is Lola Kivoron. And, well, I think you were especially a fan of this. I was. This is the sort of film that you, whether it's at Cannes or any other festival, you want to encounter. You want to encounter something by someone you've never heard of before about a subculture. You don't necessarily have much access to that just clicks. And this is a film that I don't think is perfect. It is very much a first film. It is rough around the edges in a lot of ways, but it is also just full um, I found it to be just kind of like plugging into the wall from first to last. Like it's it's a, there's there's electricity coursing through this film, yeah. and it has this extraordinary performance by this actress uh, Julie Ledru, who uh, is just this force of nature, and you know bears a full spectrum of emotion over the course of this film, um, and is a compelling character. The, the the loose outlines of what this film is is it's basically about this, this you know subculture. Of and it's in France of uh, bikers, you know, stunt bikers, basically, um, which is you know a culture that exists around the world. In Baltimore, for example. In Baltimore, <laughs> in, in in particular, but you know they you see it in New York, you see it elsewhere. Um, but mm-hmm. this particular group is one that you know is sort of on the margins of society and the margins of the law. And uh, Julia, um, who is the lead character, is really basically just a kid on the streets and doesn't really have. The family doesn't really have uh, a job, doesn't really have any kind of stability whatsoever. And this community and the aspirations for this community are like really what her life is. And and she's kind of constantly trying to prove herself. And and that involves proving herself as it comes to, you know, uh, stealing bikes, basically. (laughs) But, yeah, she gets hooked up with a group of people who who repair bikes and and resell bikes. Then they're proud of the fact that they don't steal, but she does the stealing for them and they are not... Ultimately, not that torn up about the opportunity they have to have the access to these bikes. Yeah, she conveniently does the does the kind of dirty work in that sense for them that they're they're happily to benefit from them. And I remember even within the group, there are some people who are more or less comfortable with taking bikes and also yeah. working in the same garage. They kind of view it as a club, and it's like, oh, this is the clubhouse? Why would you be bringing that? Right. But yeah, she she does that, and a lot of the first movies, her trying to like break into the scene, break into some sort of circle. And it's interesting how the movie starts just in the sense that you don't know where she's come from in a way because no, she yeah. seems to be start having to start from zero. Yeah. Very unstable starting point. Well, and, and it's and it starts on total chaotic motion. Yeah. You know, there's something very sort of cold open of a Safdie Brothers film to yeah. the cold open of this film, and which is, I don't think it's an insult at all to say that's a pretty obvious kind of touchstone but in a good way that's not an easy thing to emulate and pull off in any way and i think this film kind of does um, but it also has you know antecedents in the biker films of the 50s yeah. and you know right. the the kind of like sexual tensions and street kid culture yeah i guess we learn more about her 
as as the movie goes on and that kind of deepens what we know about her identity sure and sure. i don't know it's i don't know maybe i was supposed to pick up on that earlier but there's almost an extent to where it's a slow reveal i don't know about the film yeah but i mean it's one of these things where like i don't think it's a slow reveal to the point of like all of a sudden there's some there's not some sled in the fire that reveals what it's all about it's no, more no. it's more like she's revealing she's understanding herself as much as she's revealing that's herself right. to us I think that's yeah, that's the right way to, uh, of of putting it. But uh, yeah, I mean that's it's a film I'm glad to to have seen here and prob- one of the standouts of the a certain regard section for sure. You know, and it's one of these things where it's a bare bones affair and g- gets away with doing a lot without a whole lot to offer. Yeah. You know, lot 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 of m- much of a budget there, and that's part of how it's rough around the edges. There's some things that, in the script that maybe it's not entirely up to the task of pulling off considering right. its budget, but it almost doesn't matter. Like the energy is so is so consistent and infectious and it's the sort of thing where you walk out and you feel like if the right distributor takes this and knows how to market it they could do quite well with this and yeah. people will, will want to see it yeah and then there's also one extra kind of ingredient in there which is a, a certain amount of something magical or mystical that comes in through her dream life yeah which is a nice kind of touch you, even though if that's that's just sort of a possible move in the past few years i guess yeah, yeah. um but i was happy to have that yeah really. yeah so that's uh, Rodeo with an accent on the E or just, I guess, Rodeo. I don't know <laughs> if that's going to get a different name so people don't think it's, you know, horse lassoing or something. <laughs> and one other movie, actually, I think it's also in a certain regard, is it? War Pony? Or War is Pony it? is indeed another first feature. Another first feature. By Riley Keough and... Gina Gamble. Yeah. And this is, actually, I mean, actually another kinetic movie, I would say, just yeah. in the style of it. And one that also kind of hits the ground running. It's all set on a uh, Native American reservation. I want to say Lakota. Yeah, I think that's right. And kind of just it toggles between a couple of characters primarily. One is, is a boy and his, his friends who are kind of just running around, <laughs> running, running, running loose and running wild a little. And raising He's hell. 10, I think. He's 10, yeah. And then a kid who I want to say is like late teens maybe but it's hard to tell because yeah you know he's already taking care of himself already has a kid two kids two kids uh and sort of fending for for himself as is the uh, the boy as well yeah this is a movie where i just really enjoyed moving through their world with them because the momentum of the movie is right there with each of them and the movie also has a great like sense sense of antic sense of humor and this is a like a palaver (laughs) movie just where people are just kind of talking their way into and out of things all the time mm-hmm. and uh, I really I really like that I mean especially with the, the younger kid and there's also I think that keeps it from feeling like it's this kind of static portrait of a life on a reservation oh, or yeah. you know yeah. it's not that at all it's completely hitched to their like their personal journeys and they they have a real kind of funny sarcastic sense of humor as well yeah, I mean, you're, it does have a kinetic sense of energy, which I think is it's interesting that we're talking about that right after ro- ro- Rodeo or Rodeo, because Rodeo is 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 filled with, you know, heists and thefts mm-hmm. and racing and you know, uh, death-defying feats on, yeah. on motorcycles, and this is basically like he finds a dog, <laughs> and has a scheme right. to breed yeah. puppies using the dog, <laughs> and the other one has a dad the younger one has a dad who is a drug addict and decides to start his own you know very (laughs) fly by the seat of his pants 
actually maybe literally so, uh, drug dealing yeah. uh, enterprise. Uh, and that's sort of the extent of the action of this film. I mean, there, there yeah. are obviously compelling scenes and, and things do happen, but it has that energy without there being the stakes ever raised in an unrealistic way. Yeah. Yeah, and then there, you know, you you get kind of the involvement of a businessman, a guy who owns like a turkey farm or something like right, that, and that right. kind of brings in a whole, you know, interesting friction with 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 his world and and expectations that he has about about the world, and you know, the the problem of a partnership or a, a any sort of relationship between classes <laughs> yeah. in in this yeah. case yeah one side is not going to be completely secure or safe even right. if it feels that way for a while so it's tempting to think about what went into making this it's a first feature and i mean not that you know an actor always has to be beholden to people that they whose movies they starred in but there's there's definitely a certain amount of Andrea Arnold energy. Oh, definitely. In this. Yeah, there's some Larry Clark energy. You mentioned this before we got on. There's Larry Clark, yeah. there's Andrea Arnold. There's, yeah. to your point of the, the relevance of both of them in this situation, is there is, you know, there is a, a realism or hyper-realism mm-hmm. element here. There's a lot of young people behaving very badly. Yeah. <laughs> there's even kind of, and I think both, in both those filmmakers' cases, has moments of sentimentality mm-hmm. within pretty rough circumstances. Yeah. Um, moments of grace for these characters, you know? Yeah really just completely recognizes their agency in, in, yeah. in getting into good and bad predicaments. And I, I really, yeah, I really, I kind of like that. I felt like there was a real almost pride in, not just respect, but like a pride in, in like their stick to even if it's like the wrong thing. And I mean, the, the, I would say the reservations I have are along the lines of it being a little, in the class issues, a little bit expected and mm-hmm. a little samey, I think, in terms of how yeah. there is sort of, you know, on one hand, I was very happy to see this community of the reservation being portrayed as a community and there being these nods to yeah. the kind of particularities of this of this community and the ways that they relate to one another and the ways that they take yeah. care of each, you know, one, one another and one another. So the family, the, there's a porousness to family, which I was appreciated at the same time when it came to the class issues. It felt a little like mm-hmm. there was a bit of a broad brush. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. And uh, there's also a bit of like a runaway train aspect, which is that they're really good at like setting the movie into motion. And then it's sort of the end. It's like, ah, how do we stop this Keeps thing? Keeps going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there's about three or four extra scenes yeah. there at the end of that film, <laughs> which, is, which is a classic first film yeah, uh, yeah. tendency. And it's also in a way it's like, yeah, how do you put like a neat punctuation on this or, you know, a neat endpoint on their lives? But yeah, I, re- I really do want to single out like the camera work because I think it is... I, I'm gonna have to look up the cinematographer and like everything about it because I thought it was tremendously skillful. There are a lot of like really elaborate like tracking shots that are, are, are really good. Also, a touch of spirituality or mystical in this, yeah. with a kind of recurring vision, I guess. So that's sort of interesting. But yeah, War Pony. I'm definitely was a, little, was a little suspicious of that element of it. I was too, especially since I think that is actually a cliche yeah. of a movie set on a reservation that yeah. that's you're accessing this mysterious thing it's not really an element of the film but it's just kind of like a motif instead but, yeah yeah you know. it's a it's a big hairy metaphor <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. but uh yeah i'm definitely pro-war pony and yeah i hope people aren't actually scared away or dismissive by the fact that it's like co-directed by an actor because i sort of wondered if people thought that because you can always get a little wary I, I think as, as far as that goes, it's probably one of the best I've seen in a while. So that's War Pony. 
I think one other movie, just going into the competition now, that both of us had a strong and kind of conflicted or torturous <laughs> or, or grappling uh, relationship with uh, is the Arnaud de Plechin film, Brother and Sister. Right. Do you want to? Yeah, sure. I'll get in there. <laughs> so, uh, so Arnaud de Plechin, this is, I would say, like the him returning to or revisiting or finding another you know, blast of wind in the sails of his kind of mm-hmm. classic style of the, f- the sort of uh, jittery, fast-moving, highly fractured editing approach to, yeah, an extended family story. And this is, of course, it's in, it's right there in the title. But, you know, whether it's Kings and Queen or Christmas Tale, yeah. that sort of approach and brings in some of, of his... You know, some some actors that he's worked with before, like Melville Poupeau and Marianne mm-hmm. Cotillard, and they play the brother and sister, the titular yes. brother and sister, the titular brother and sister, and you know, and it's extremely verbose. It's it's in that Deplechen way of being, like just densely verbose. There's so much language in this. There's also so many setups and so many angles. You mm-hmm. know, you're getting this incredibly cubistic thing, while at the same time, like. He's always been verbose, and, and that's part of what he does. This time actually felt even more theatrical than mm. maybe in some of those others. Like it's rather than there being a couple epic monologues, like it's actually almost entirely consists of monologues. Yeah. There's just monologue after monologue after monologue, and Marion Cotillard plays a theater actor, you know. So it, there's 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 a thread there that he's that he's tying. Yeah. Um, whereas Melville Poupeau plays a writer and a novelist, um, and sort of vaguely vaguely fictional <laughs> like, like, like he seems like this takes his his novels are taken directly from his life stories um and and, and <laughs> right. from his family and anyway so the but the but the really the conceit is this and i'm not spoiling anything is that they hate each other and at some point they <laughs> yeah. loved each other and then at some point in their adult lives they determined that they hated each other and yeah. the entire film is basically everyone around them being completely sort of sucked into that conflict between them which is it gets elaborated upon it gets explored some of the history comes through there are flashbacks but there is a certain degree of of just kind of just stubborn insistent yeah on the hatred that mm-hmm. is the subject of the film yeah and it's really not you know things happen you know parents are involved siblings are involved yeah. people people die you know but it is really just even those things happen are negotiated within the terms of these, these siblings hating each other. Yeah, and I kind of had to admire how they, in a way, there's no way to explain the depth of that that hatred or, or, or the, yeah, how inflammatory it is. And I felt that was a really true choice, just in the sense that, especially among siblings, it could just flare up and go away and, and kind of be something you can't explain entirely. And I think just partly as an ego thing, just like the, that really is very primal about siblings that you're each kind of a threat to each other's individuality you know probably aggravated by the fact that they're both like artists with strong voices in their particular fields it it feels truthful and primal but it also feels like high concept yes Mm -hmm. you know there's something just like i don't know die hard on a bus you know (laughs) meaning equal speed to this of just like Two siblings hating each other yeah. equals the latest Arnold Depp film. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, well, it's kind of funny because it's like a. Com- I mean, think about it in a traditional dramatic sense. It's like a conflict, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not yeah. like the conflict's going to resolve itself. <laughs> it's not like also yeah. in like every other sibling rivalry plot that occurs. In well, it dates back to this one thing, and if we just dredge it up and and then talk about it, and then somehow it's 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 resolved. This is just the way it is it is really gut level in that way right yeah he does not you know the, the scenario is not that yeah they might resolve this or they're going to go to therapy or they're going to have that one conversation that's going to make it okay yeah which then makes the w- where it ends up which there's no way we should talk about right make a hell of a lot of sense but also remarkable that this is what it's building to yeah um and just on a formal level to to pick up what you were saying about how it being uh composed of like monologues and and you know also he he does the thing with the direct address to the camera when they're letters a lot of which and i'm always wary of using this term does feel sort of literary like he's doing things that you might associate more with the switching between different first person voices in a novel you know and he does it like just as rapidly in a way too because the scenes are just like one after another without even always a lot of establishing no often not and and it just goes goes on and on so much so that i was actually kind of genuinely bewildered not in a bad way i was just like you really it's sort of a just a cascade yeah that goes goes through even with some like jumps to the past that are like also very unheralded <laughs> or whatever yeah and i and i like that that's the sort of headlong energy that made his movies so important to me you yeah. know when i first started watching them in the 2000s yeah so no i mean but i, I I'll, I'll say it. i'm still piecing through this and i have a ton of respect yeah. for depression and I, I i tend to like his films, even even the ones that not everyone else does. But I guess as as we say, this is a, a return in some ways to a certain mode of filmmaking for him, or or or, or storytelling. It also actually think it's missing a lightness. There's mm-hmm. a, there's, a, there's yeah. a deftness of touch. There's an energy there. Yeah. But it is a very cynical film in a lot of ways. Mm, these, yeah. This is a dark portrait of yeah. human behavior, and these are not people that he's creating a lot of space for us to like. It's true, yeah. yeah, which we're not really accustomed to in a way because I like one thought experiment I was floating when we were talking about the movie r- right after is, well, what if the Melvin Poupeau character had been played by Mathieu Almaric? Right, <laughs> where there's always a rakish charm. Yes, yeah. Not so, that the Poupeau is not a, a beautiful, compelling man. Yes. But, but he doesn't. he's not bringing the Almaric yes, energy. Right. He's, yeah, he's not doing the... It's, an, the, no, it's not the Almaric... The Lubitsch touch, the Almaric touch. The Almaric touch. <laughs> well, there is that is a thing. I think so. Yeah. No, Popo. Like honestly, like whenever he's when he's self amused, <laughs> it's like he's he's at his least appealing. In the film. <laughs> he's got this grin on his face. Yeah, it's just like Ugh. yeah, yeah, right. Especially since he's clearly knows exactly how to write to get anyone's goat. You know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. most frustrating sort of person. And that is what you're watching a lot in this. Yeah, film, is him getting right to the heart of what yeah. is with the soft part of. Uh, his family members. Yeah. Also, just want to mention Golshifta Farhani, who, who plays Pupo's character's wife. Oh, yes, of course. Right. Just because it's a really strange character in a way. She's like a character who is attracted to him basically because he's a dick. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and it says almost as much and is, and is just like completely convincing in, in this yeah. strange, yeah. strange role. Then they start off with like one of their first dates, which is got to be one of the great like yeah a, first date scenes incredible scene um once again like just a thing that uh Diplichant does so well is finding ways to have scenes twist into sequences that you are yeah. in, in very interesting ways yeah his mise-en-scene or his progressing 
uh, through a film is as mercurial as the yeah. characters are. You know, there's a real yeah. match there. And sometimes yeah. one is sliding before the other slides, but they do yeah. both slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, again, is the Arnaud de Plachet new feature. I guess his last one was Deception, or at least right. that's the one that's actually being released more or less now. I exactly, think, yeah. Uh, on streaming Delayed. in the States, I think through Mubi, I want to say. That's the Philip Roth adaptation. But this is uh, Brother and Sister in the competition. Very glad to have seen it. Same here. And I think that'll be our episode for today. We'll be back again tomorrow with more. <laughs> and also probably better fed. I think we acquitted ourselves fine, considering we haven't had a meal today. So if you don't mind us, listeners, we are going to go have some food. And, and we'll be ready to fight again later this evening. Yes, indeed. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. This episode was co-produced by John Gaudio. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening.